The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. just as much of a testimony as it was the first time I ever sang You see I thought number one would surely be me and I thought I would be what I wanted to be I thought I could build on life sinking sand, but I can't even walk, Lord, without you holding my hand. No, I can't. I know that I can't 
Cause I can hear without you home. Oh. 
holding my That's the hardest thing for the Christian to learn is that we cannot do it without him. Well, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Oh, the mountains to hide in the in this place. But thank God he is holding our hand. Thank God he is holding our hand. Well, I can't even walk without you Can't even walk with 
Because I can't even walk without you only. I need you to hold my hand. I can't even walk without Jesus holding my hand. We have to come to this. We have to come to the certain knowledge that we can't even walk without Jesus holding our hand. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I've been out for a week. I'm happy to be back on the air with you. I was stricken with an inner ear dizziness and spent last week flat on my back. And some have been very concerned, and I've just said no. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And it was an, it was an amazing time of prayer and supplication All I could do is lay flat on my back with my eyes closed and wait on Jesus. And he surely did not disappoint me. And he's given me a message to share with you that's going to be, on one side, very hopeful and liberating, and on the other side, it just really uncovers my heart. I pray it will be uncovering your heart. I'm not going to so much as preach this message as I simply want to share it with you. I want to share what the Holy Spirit has said to me. It is shocking. We're living in a time of grave danger to our nation and grave danger to the church. It's not business as usual. It's a time of sober reflection. I want to share again what the Holy Spirit has put in my heart. Let's pray. I come, Lord, as a a messenger of the Lord God Most High. I come, Lord, to speak to your people about some very, very difficult things that will cause us to repent before you. But on the other side, with that repentance will come incredible power and victory. And you will take us by the hand and lead us through the storm that we are entering into in America and in the world. So, Lord, on one side I come weeping, and on the other side I come rejoicing. Thank you, Lord. I pray now that my voice and my words will be enlarged by your Holy Spirit, that I will not speak 
anything except at your direction. Lord, I thank you. I praise you. And I ask you to take my hand and the hand of each person listening and lead us through these words that you want to speak to us, words of life and victory, words of hope and comfort. In the name of Jesus, amen. There are some passages of Scripture that I must repeatedly return to. I read them over and over and over and study them, but know that I am missing a great deal of depth and understanding. I am too immature to comprehend what God is trying to say to me and to the church. And I keep reading them and praying over them until Finally, the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to me the depth of what was really going on. One such passage is found in Genesis, the third chapter. Genesis, the third chapter. It's the story of the fall. Now, a dear friend of mine has been writing a book on John the Baptist. And he's been asking the question, what is sin? And when he began to press that question, I really didn't know how to answer. We know sin is harmatia. We know that in classical Greek, it is missing the mark. But we know in Scripture the definition of the classical Greek is inadequate and that the biblical definition found in 1 John is that sin is lawlessness. That's still a shallow answer. It's still not mining the depths of what is sin that I could understand it and have a comprehension that is useful in my own life. Now, I have, from a very early age, sought with all of my heart after the Lord God of heaven. I have given myself to seek after him, to pray, to obey. And yet I have, in my ignorance and in my rebellion, made so many mistakes and fallen so short of the glory of God that my heart has been deeply grieved to the point of hours of weeping before his throne. I know that there is only one thing that matters, and that is that I be found worthy to stand before the throne of Jesus Christ, that I not be rejected by him, that I not be cast into the fires of hell, because of my wanton willingness to buy into the devil's lies. I know that's the great danger. There is no casualness in my heart, except when there is. 
and the Lord has been increasingly dealing with me on this casualness that is within my heart. And he sent me back to Genesis, the third chapter, to look again for a new understanding. And I began to read and pray and weep over the third chapter, not really understanding what the issues were. Oh, yes, it was disobeying God. But I don't have a tree of the knowledge of good and evil growing in my backyard. And so how does this pertain to me? How do I reach out and take the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in rebellion against the Most High God? The consequence for their sin was monumentally painful and difficult, bringing death. How do I avoid that? What is it that God has called me to? Chapter 3 begins, Now the serpent, or now the dragon, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, that is, the dragon, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Satan always comes first and foremost to tell us that what God has said is a withholding of the best from us. He always comes with lies on his lips. I want you to remember that as we move forward because... I'm going to want to ask you, what are the lies that you have believed that causes God to be distant from you and, if not corrected, will cause you to be cast into hell? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Oh, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? 
He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Well, we know this story. But now let's go back and let's walk deeper into it. Let's see if we can discover what really was going on in this garden where such momentous decisions were made that has crushed humanity for centuries. We see today the result of the decision that Adam and Eve made in the garden. We see it in murder, in adultery, in bitterness and sorrow. We see it in rioting and dominance. We see it in every vile and unclean thing that flows out of Hollywood and out of the television and the Internet. We see the result, and we see the death, until death has just become a normal part of life for us. And the lie is that death is normal. No, death is not normal. Death is a stranger that came in among us because of Adam and Eve's decision to eat from the devil tree, from the dragon tree. I've even wondered if Satan did not plant the seed of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I wonder if God simply allowed him to bring his own tree into the garden. Because God would not tempt a man. He would test us, but he would not tempt us. This was a bitter temptation. So let's look at what really happened here. The word of God is, you must not eat from any tree in the garden except the trees, the tree of life and the other trees, but not of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat the fruit or you will die. So somehow we have to come to a clear understanding that there's something about what we touch that makes us die, that separates us from God. Now, the serpent says, you're not going to surely die. In fact, your eyes are going to be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Many years ago, in a time of great pain in my life, the Lord came to me and asked me to enter into a covenant with him. And that covenant was that I would only accept from his hand 
what he chose to give me. In other words, I would not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I quickly agreed with the Lord that I that I would only receive from his hand what he gave me. I didn't understand what I was saying. I didn't understand what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was. And so because I didn't understand and I didn't search after God in an earnest, honest manner that would demonstrate for me the clarity of what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was, I've partaken of its fruit for many years. And so have you. And the result has been that we have the outward form of godliness, but we don't have the power. This week, I'm going to be dealing all week with the conditions for receiving the power of God so that we can deal with what's coming upon us in finances, in asteroid strikes, in all kinds of persecution. Persecution is coming to the church. It's already in many nations, but it's coming to America. How do we deal with it? Well, we're going to have to have the power of the mighty God of heaven We don't have that power right now. So let's go deeper. The serpent is saying, look, here's this beautiful tree. It will give you the knowledge of good and evil. Your eyes will be opened when you eat from it, and you will become like God. And you will know good and evil. Not that you will know the difference between good and evil. You will know both good and evil. And so the woman, seeing that the food was pleasing to look at, and that it was desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and she ate. What does this mean? For many years, this has been a mystery to me. I'm beginning to see now for the first time the depth of what sin is. I want you to see it too. Don't just blow it off. Don't just discount what I'm going to say to you. But hear honestly, hear honestly what I'm saying, and then take it to the prayer closet and begin to cry out to God about this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I ask that you would, as he reveals it to you, you would utterly reject it. Now, it's good for food. And we all need food. It's pleasing aesthetically to look upon. 
we like beautiful things to look at. And it's desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some and she ate it. What did she do when she took from that tree and she ate from that tree? Let me put it very simply. She said, God, you're not enough for me. I'm not willing to wait for you to teach me about what you want me to know. I want to be able to reach out and take what looks like what I need to meet my need right now. Please understand, sin is not something ethereal. It is something very practical, nitty, gritty, and dirty. And we are so accustomed to walking in our sin that we can't even differentiate the difference between sin and righteousness. Sin is choosing to be my own God. Righteousness is choosing to wait upon the Lord. Can you imagine what would have happened in this garden if Eve had turned to her husband and said, Husband, do you hear what this dragon is saying to us? What's your reaction, husband? What do you think about what he's saying? And can you imagine if Adam had had the courage to say, Sweetheart, I don't know what to make of this, but God will be here shortly in the cool of the day. Why don't we wait and ask him what his thoughts are about this? Ask him whether or not this is something he wants us to do. Now, he's already told us, no, do not touch it and do not eat it. But we didn't have all the information at that point. But now, this dragon is telling us that if we eat of this tree, we will have it all. Let's wait and ask God what his thoughts are. What a difference it would have made for eternity, for all of us. But they didn't have that conversation. Instead, they reached out their hand, and they took what they thought they needed to take care of their life. They needed food to eat. They needed beautiful things around them. But did they need to know good and evil? It was never God's intention that we should know evil. That was never in God's heart. It was in God's heart that we should only know good. Because God is only good. There's nothing evil in the Lord God of heaven. He is righteous. He is just. He is pure. He is clean. But Adam and Eve... Hearing the dragon's words, made a decision that they needed to take care of themselves. That they could not wait and speak with the Lord God of heaven that evening. That they needed it now. Now, let me say what I believe the Lord has shown me that is so stunning to my heart that it has put me on the floor, weeping before the Lord. 
I go about my day and I I think I need a new car. And so I reach out my hand and I take the new car. Where did the new car come from? I've signed up now for six, seven, eight, nine hundred dollars a month payment. And I say, hey, I can have it completely covered in five to seven years. What's not to love about that? Well, what's not to love about it is that I chose it. I reached out my hand because there was a new car hanging on the branch of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I said, I'll have a serving of that. Thank you. I just ate the apple. I just ate the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A man said to me, I'm considering buying a house. And I can make the monthly payments. It's not a problem. So I'll reach out my hand because there's a a beautiful house hanging on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm going to take that tree, that fruit of the tree, and I'm going to enjoy it. My family deserves a home to live in, and I deserve to own my own house. And now I've gone in debt, and I'm responsible. Can I be responsible? Well, we're going to soon find out that as the dollar is dramatically reduced in value and the currency collapses, that I'm not going to be able to make that payment. Then who will make the payment? The devil is due. Or I'd like to go out and and eat in a nice restaurant. And I see a nice restaurant hanging on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I say, I'm headed out to, to go eat. And I go to the nice restaurant. And I have a wonderful meal. Did the Lord tell me to go to that restaurant? Did I pray about it? Did I wait upon the Lord? Or did I say, I can do it. And so I will do it. And I pluck that piece of fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What am I saying? I'm saying that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is bearing much fruit today and that you can reach out your hand not wanting to wait upon God, not wanting to lose the ability to make my own choices and my own decisions. And so I reach out my hand and I pluck that fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was not provided by God. It was provided by my own ability. Many of you have a wife or a husband that you simply reached out and 
plucked from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Or you have a house that you rent, that you reached out and plucked from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Or you have a car. Your whole lifestyle. You reached out and took it because you could. Sin is not being willing to wait when the devil brings his smorgasbord of possibilities before me and says, look, it's all here for you. All you have to do is go for it, and you can have it. Because God is withholding from you. He doesn't want you to have a house. He doesn't want you to go out and eat at a nice restaurant. God doesn't want you to to have those new clothes. God doesn't want God doesn't want you to have a wonderful life. He's a God who withholds from you. He's a God who is a miser. He's a hard man. And the devil lies to us. And we give that old Robert Schuler saying a push. If it's going to be, it's up to me. How's that working out for you? Well, I'll tell you how it's worked out for me. The loneliness of my heart, because God is very distant. Now, does God want me to have a house? And would he bring to me the house he wanted me to have? Of course. Matthew, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That is, seek first to be under the authority of God, under the reign of God, submitted to him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. The things that pagans run after. Food, shelter, clothing. God doesn't want any of this to be withheld from you, but he wants to provide it for you. But when you have a lifestyle of going out and simply taking whatever it is you desire to take, because you can, because you're an American, because you're free, And so your life is made up of grabbing and growling. You want a ministry. So go create your ministry. You want a friend. Well, go make a friend. You want a wife. Well, go find her. You want a husband. Go find him. Whatever you want, go get it. That's what the devil says with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can have it all. You can be like God. You're in charge. It is desperate sin before the Almighty God. I think of the house that I'm living in now. My house was where I was renting in Belmont Bay was 
being put on the market by the owner. And he gave me a 30-day notice that I had to move. And at first I said, whoa, 30 days. I'd better go find a place. And so I went out and looked. I wasn't pleased with anything I found. I didn't sense the presence of God with me. So I went back home and I got on my face before God and I repented for even going and looking. And I said, Lord, I don't want a house that I choose. Would you please choose the house where you want me to live? And Lord, I'm not going to even, I'm not going to move. I'm not going to wiggle. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to do anything except I'm going to pray and I'm going to wait upon you, Lord. Well, the 30 days was almost up, and the landlord came back to me, and he said, Pastor, do you have a place to move yet? I said, no, I don't. He said, well, good, because why don't you take another 30 days while the house is on the market? We don't have any bites yet. I said, oh, okay. So now I knew I had another 30 days to pray and wait upon the Lord, and so I continued praying. I didn't look. I didn't go on Zillow. I just prayed. And I said, Lord, I need to move. I know you don't want my furniture out in the street. I know you don't want me to move it to storage because that would block radio. So, Lord, would you show me the house you want me to live in? And would you tell me how much rent to pay? Well, it came close to the end of that month. Landlord called me again. He said, Pastor, would you mind staying in the house for at least 30 more days? I said, no, I'm, I'm happy here. I'll do that. I knew I had another 30 days to pray. I began day and night to cry out to the Lord to show me where he wanted me rejoicing and standing by faith that he would show me the house, that he would choose the house for me. A dear brother in Christ called me. He said, Pastor, we were, we were out and we saw your house. I want you to go look at it. There's a for sale sign in the yard, but the Lord told me he would, he would rent it if you would go talk to him. I said, okay. I prayed and the Lord confirmed, yes, go. Not with words, but just an inner sense of peace. And so I came to this house. I knocked on the door. I said, sir, there's a for sale sign in your yard, but I'd like to rent your house. Is it possible to rent it? He said, yes, it's possible. Come on in. So I went into the house, and he had me sit down in the living room, and we began to talk, to get acquainted. And when we, when we were nearing the end of our discussion, he showed me the house. It's a, a beautiful home, a large home, a spacious home. He gave me the price. 
a very fair price. But the Lord had also told me what price he wanted me to pay for rent. And so I had to say to him, I'm sorry, I can't. I can't pay that. The Lord has told me that this is as much as I can pay for rent. He said, oh, no, I I can't consider that amount. I said, well, okay, thank you. I very much appreciate you showing me the house, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. God bless you today. Let me know if you change your mind. So I got up, and he showed me to the door. And as I was walking out, he said, Wait a minute, Pastor. Wait a minute. I'll need to check with my wife. She'll want to meet you. Is this a a long-term rental? I said, Yes. He said, I'll rent you the house for the amount the Lord told you you could pay. And I could just barely contain my my words of praise and worship and honor to Jesus because now I knew beyond question that I was moving into a house that God would be responsible for the rent on. So he talked with his wife, and he called me, and he said, Please come by the house. My wife wants to meet you. We sat down and talked, and she said, Pastor, we should not rent this house to you for that price, but we sense we should rent it. Now, they're not Christian people. And they signed a lease with me. It's been now more than five years. I praise God that I waited upon the Lord. I praise God I waited upon the Lord and did not move into a house that was reaching out and taking it from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Instead, I reached out and I took the house from the tree of life. Now, What do you do today if you have reached out and taken that car from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or that house or that wife or that husband? What if you have all kinds of that job? What if they've all come from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What do I do? You get on your knees and you repent and you confess before the Lord that you've been creating your own life. You confess that you made a serious mistake in reaching out and taking what you desired. You honestly admit your mistake and you take responsibility for it. And now you ask the Lord God to put it under the blood of Jesus Christ. And you make the vow that you will never again reach out and take one thing, nothing, From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will only feast on the tree of life. 
and that you will pray and earnestly ask the Lord to open before you the path he would have you pursue. Some of you have your foot in a financial snare because you're still reaching out and taking from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you can't be released. The devil is demanding the last penny from you. My brother, my sister, in every area of our life, we must recognize where we are reaching out and taking for ourselves, even as Adam and Eve did, and we are grieving the Spirit of God. Jesus did not preach one word. He did not do one miracle without the Father moving in him and directing his steps. I need Jesus to hold my hand. I need to eat from the tree of life. Now, tomorrow we're going to take this even further. I ask you, please read the first chapter of the book of James. That's where we will spend our time tomorrow. Now, there are a couple of housekeeping things I need to share with you. I am so grateful that many of you have donated. For this ministry, you have covered the cost of radio month after month, and many of you have done that by using PayPal on our webpage. I'm sorry to report to you that PayPal has begun now to put a 20-day hold on everything that is donated to the National Prayer Chapel. I'm trying to work through that problem. I am looking at several other options, and as soon as that problem is taken care of, I will let you know, but until then, please do not use PayPal to donate to the National Prayer Chapel. Instead, please write a check. We are still just over $1,000 short of having the money for July's radio bill. We're in the last week of July. If the Lord is moving in your heart, would you take that money from the tree of life and give generously that we can cover the radio bill for this month. My brother, my sister, the Lord has been so kind. His forgiveness is so merciful and kind. He loves you and he wants you to wait upon him and he will order your steps. Now, if you'd like to donate to cover July's radio broadcast, send your check, please, made out to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee.